0: He is risen. Yes, 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 um, and for those of you who might not be familiar with that age-old church tradition in which the person up here on Easter Sunday will make that declaration, He is risen, and those out there will respond by r- returning the declaration, He is risen indeed, and um that's just our way of reminding our own hearts and reminding that devil that despite the best effort to keep hope down, Jesus unshackled himself from death, walked out of the grave, and is alive to offer hope to anyone who would receive it. So, man, I don't know where you came from or how you came into this space this morning. You might have come in here feeling and carrying hope. You might have come in here this morning needing hope. But regardless, can we just make that declaration one more time? He is risen. Amen. And we believe because he has, hope is truly alive. Again, if you're a guest with us, a special welcome uh, to you. My name is Kondo. I get to serve as one of the pastors here, and I'm so glad that you chose to come and join us. We are Mission Point Community Church, a bunch of messed up people who have been forgiven and who are being set free by a perfect savior. And he's just too good for us to keep to ourselves. And so we want to find any excuse to invite everyone everywhere to experience that same freedom, that same forgiveness. In him. So we're so glad that you're here and uh, we trust that however you came into this space that it's not by accident and he has every intention of introducing himself or maybe perhaps reintroducing himself to you on this Easter Sunday. Um, man, it's so good uh, to be together. I, I, I don't know why I was doing this uh, in the, the last number of days or so, and uh, I'm not going to tell you how much time I wasted on the interwebs, uh, <laughs> but I was for some reason or another captivated by a bunch of people who have made ridiculous uh, predictions um, in the recent past. And uh, I don't know why, but I was laughing hysterically. And I thought I'd share a few of those um, with you. Some of you uh, might be sports fans. And so you might recognize this first guy. This guy's name is J.R. Smith. And um, it's not good to to laugh at people. So we're laughing with J.R. Smith for the ridiculous thing that he did. But last summer, J.R. Smith, who is a basketball player, plays for the Cleveland Cavaliers. um, Last summer, he made a prediction Uh, that his team would come back from a three-game-to-one deficit against... The Golden State Warriors in a battle that you know the way it works: the first person to four games wins, and he predicted that they would come back and win. Now, if you know much about sports, you know that is so hysterical, and he was so embarrassed by it that he said somebody hacked my Twitter account. I didn't really say that, uh, but turned out he was super, super wrong. And I spent an inordinate amount of time laughing at him in the last number of days, and I just thought it's Easter, I might as well confess that um, to you now. So, some of you may, but most of you will not know the name Robert Metcalf. And there's a good reason for that. Oh, man. So in 1995, this character over here made the very bold and certain prediction in 1995 that um, by 1996, the next year, that the internet would be obsolete and completely useless. In fact, he made such a bold means. Mark my words. If I'm wrong, I will eat my words. So anyway, uh, at a conference in 1997, he put his article in a food processing blender machine, and he physically ate that. <laughs> on, I was laughing hysterically. I know it's not good, but man, these bogus predictions. Um, Michael Dell, and God bless you. If you use a Dell computer, Uh, but Michael Dell um, made a a declaration a number of years ago in which he was saying Apple is such a joke and is going to be run out of business so quickly. He said, if I were them, I would sell the company for parts and give all the money back to the shareholders because this company is not going anywhere. And I found it ironic how much I was laughing at that prediction, uh, reading it on my, my MacBook. Uh, at my house. But this guy was was super wrong. I stopped judging. Come on. You know that you were all bunkered up, you know, for Y2K, you know, and you were ready for the world to end. At least I was. I mean, we had stockpiled and we were ready for things to go down. Listen, here's the point of this. This is free. Um, this is free advice. Don't say I never gave you anything. But it is probably wise not to attempt to make predictions about things you cannot control, like these fools did. Especially about things that have so many moving pieces and, and so many, you, you know, um, you know e- affected things that you just have no say over, you have no control over. My recommendation to you is just don't make predictions. Unless, of course, you're Jesus. Then I'm going to make an exception and say you can feel free to make as many predictions as you want. In fact, this morning, we are going to look at two verses in which Jesus makes some pretty bold predictions. Um, And in doing that, we are going to get to hear bits and pieces of that first Easter weekend story. 2,000 plus years ago, and by the way, for some of you, it's going to be the 2,000th time that you've heard some of the Easter weekend events. For some of you, it's going to be the very first time, and I am thrilled for you, by the way, if that's you, and I trust the word of God is alive, and whether you're hearing it for the 2,000th time or you're hearing it for the first time, that he has something for you and that he will bring something to life if we would just lean in. A little bit, but if you have a copy of the scriptures, go to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20, and we're going to be looking at verse 18 and verse 19. We're going to do a Bible study about Easter weekend, and I hope you're okay um, with that. But in these two verses, Jesus is about to make some pretty bold, pretty bold, and maybe even questionable predictions about future events. So let's see how Jesus did. And um, we want to, even as we do that, hear and learn a little bit about that first Easter weekend. Pretty ambitious predictions Jesus is about to make. All right, Matthew chapter 20, verse 18 and 19. Here's what it says. We are going up to Jerusalem. Okay, fair enough so far. And the Son of Man, Jesus is speaking about himself in a third person using this nickname. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. Let me read those verses one more time. As Jesus predicts what's going to happen, and in predicting, he's summarizing the events of that first Easter weekend. We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. Um, I'm telling you. I am not an an early adopter, I'm a super cynical person, I have a lot of questions, I'm not sure about things. Um, I like to know um, beyond shadows of a doubt. But let me tell you this, (laughs) I know For a fact that if I didn't know anything else about Jesus except these two verses right here, these two verses would be reason enough for me to consider following him with everything I am and doing whatever he says. Because I'm just telling you, if anybody can accurately predict this many events, this many weeks in advance, With this much accuracy, I'm in. Jesus says, hey, listen, I'm going to be handed over to a group of Jewish religious leaders. And they're going to convict me, and they're going to condemn me to die. And then they're going to pass me along to some Gentile leaders. And they're going to mock me. They're going to flog me. They're going to execute me. And then don't worry about it. Because I'm going to come down from a love to three-day deficit and race back up to life. If he's right, even 50% right, I'm going all in with him. Because who does this? Who makes predictions like this? Anyway... This just did. He was 100% right. So, you know, what are you going to do? I've opted to follow him 100%. And um, here I am now doing what he says, living in Warsaw and freezing winter. And because um, he said. But um, anyway, I don't want you to take my word for it. I want us, even as we unravel the scriptures and we, we do this Bible study to, to see for ourselves. Okay. A number of bold predictions Jesus made. How did he do? The first thing Jesus predicted was his capture. His capture. He's going to go to Jerusalem, he said, and at some point after he gets there, he's going to be taken into custody. Now, just to be clear, Jesus is about 33 years old at this time. And um, in the 33 years that Jesus has lived, he has never one time been arrested. He has never one time been incarcerated. And I'm saying that for the benefit of a cynic out there who's saying, well, yeah, child, but it's Jesus. He's always in cuffs. No, Jesus has never been arrested. So this is a crazy assertion that after 33 years, I am going to be captured, taken into custody. He says it in the first part of verse 18. We, with his disciples... Going to go up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And by the way, beyond the notion of capture, there is the undertone, the heavy undertone of betrayal in Jesus' words. He is suggesting that somebody is going to sell me out. Somebody else is going to be the agent of my Capture. And by the way, if you're keeping records, this would be a good time to just jot down real quick, Jesus was right. And by the way, that's just something you should learn how to spell and jot down very often because it will always be um, the footnote after Jesus says anything. Because just a few weeks later, when Jesus was in Jerusalem, he was in a garden praying um, with some of his followers, well, technically, his followers were supposed to be keeping watch, but they fell asleep. And so Jesus was praying all by himself. But while he was in that garden with his disciples, ambush, Jesus was captured. And that, by the way, would trigger the events of Easter weekends. Flash forward, Matthew chapter 26, um, verse 45 47. And by the way, we're going to keep coming back to the Matthew 26, Matthew 27 section of Scripture, um, but we'll have them up on the screen for you to be able to follow along. So Jesus, it says, returned to the disciples and said to them, are you guys sleeping and resting again? Anyway, look, the hour has come And the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. So rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. And while he, Jesus, was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. And with him a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and elders of The people. And so while Jesus is in this garden, out of the shadows emerges this guy named Judas, who was one of Jesus' closest friends, who decided that for a little payout, for a little extra cash, he would sell his friend out. And he became the agent of Jesus' capture. And he brings with him a little mob, a little mini army that is armed to take Jesus into custody. Jesus was right. In this prediction, and I don't know about you, but even that is enough for me to be like, okay, uh, I'm curious about you. If you could predict even that singular event. But Jesus didn't just predict his capture. He even predicted his captors. Because he's more impressive than we can possibly imagine. Look again at verse 18. Matthew chapter 20. We're going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over. And he tells us to whom? To the chief priests and the teachers of the law. You can't know that, Jesus. You can't possibly control that outcome. He says, I'm not just going to be captured. I am going to be captured specifically by this powerful religious group of men who are responsible for enforcing the law of God, to make sure that people follow the law of God, and if they don't, that they pay for it. So specific in his prediction. It's not just going to be anybody, it's going to be that religious group of people. And these two bodies of religious leaders, they're going to be the ones responsible for taking me into custody. And if you're keeping track, Jesus was right again. Matthew 26, verse 57 says, Those who had arrested Jesus took him to Caiaphas. Who's Caiaphas? Well, he's the chief of the chief priests. He's the high priest. Where the teachers of the law... And the elders had assembled. So here's the picture being painted that that this group of religious leaders that Jesus had predicted had gathered around and they had ordered that Jesus be brought into their custody and they were now waiting for him. And we don't need to, by the way, guess what their intentions were because Jesus predicted that too. Not just his capture, not just his captors. He predicted his conviction, Matthew chapter 20, verse 18 again. We're going up to Jerusalem, check. And the Son of Man will be delivered, check. Over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law, check. And they will condemn him to death. Jesus forecast this. They're going to be thirsty for my blood and they're going to sign my death sentence. These religious leaders of all people. And sadly, once again, Jesus was right. Matthew 26, verse 59. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin, the teachers of the law, were looking for false evidence against Jesus so that they could put him to death. But they didn't find any, though many false witnesses came forward, yeah, paid off to come and make stuff up. Jesus had become apparently such a, a threat to their power, such a threat to the influence of these religious leaders, such a threat to their way of life that they became thirsty for his blood. They wanted him dead, but they couldn't find a legitimate reason to accuse him of doing anything wrong because Jesus had never even one time broken even one of God's laws. So this police force of God's law could not bring any charges against him. So when they had him, In custody, they they start to on this Easter weekend, they start to provoke Jesus. They start to to try and get under his skin. They start asking him all of these questions. And their hope is that Jesus would give them just one morsel. Just give us one thing that we can hold over your head and use as a means of your execution. And Jesus remained silent, which frustrated these leaders for a while. and, And then eventually Jesus gave them just enough for them to go on, just what they wanted. Matthew 26, verse 64 <clears throat> says, You have said so, Jesus said in response. But I say to you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man, speaking about himself, sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, He has spoken blasphemy. This is so pious, so super self righteous. And then he starts to fish, and you can even see it in the language of this story. Why, why do we need any more witnesses, right? I mean, look. Look now, you've heard the blasphemy, right? Am I, am I alone? Am I crazy? Did anyone else hear that, what he just said just now? Did you hear that? And, and, and what, well, what do you think? Do you think this is reason enough? I think it's reason enough. What do you guys think? And you can tell there's this laboring to find cause to indict Jesus. And then together they all decide and chant, he is worthy of death. By the way, if you've ever wondered what was the capital crime that Jesus committed that earned him the death sentence, there it is right there. That was it. Jesus said, I'm going to sit at God's right hand. Another prediction that is very true. And I'm going to come back on the clouds one day. And when the chief priest hears this, he starts ripping his clothes. No, it burns. Make it stop. That's so wrong. I don't know what's wrong with it, but it sounds super wrong. And people who already hate Jesus get riled up and make the declaration, death for you, which is exactly what Jesus predicted would happen weeks before it did. Not just his capture, not just his captors, not just his conviction, but he predicts his crucifixion. Now, the problem with these Jewish leaders is they were powerful, but only powerful to a certain extent. One of the things they were not allowed to do was to carry out execution. So as much as they wanted Jesus dead, they were not allowed to execute Jesus. So guess what they had to do? They had to hand Jesus over to the Gentiles. They had to hand Jesus over to the Romans who were masters in the art of torture and the art of execution. They were the only ones who were allowed to carry out the execution. And so it says in chapter 27, verse 1, early in the morning. All the chief priests and elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. I don't even know how you get to this point. So they bound Jesus, they tied him up, and they led him away, and they handed him over to Pilate, the Gentile governor, which again, I could be wrong, but Jesus predicted this too. Verse 19 of Matthew chapter 20, he said, and And they will hand me over to the Gentiles. Who will? Well, the religious leaders, they're the ones who are going to arrest me, but they won't kill me. They'll sentence me to death, but they're going to have to hand me over to the Gentile leaders. They're the ones who will kill me. Jesus, you couldn't possibly have predicted this. Not with this degree of accuracy. And he says, I'm going to be mocked and I'm going to be flogged and I will be taken out. I will be crucified. And if you've never heard the story, Jesus goes on to be tortured for hours. If you've never heard the story. That what you just got was a short version of some of the capstone events of that weekend that Jesus was betrayed by one of his closest friends at that. And then he was handed over to the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders, the law police. And then he was condemned to die by the law police who hated him. And then he was mocked and tortured and executed on a criminal's cross by the Roman leaders on that fateful Friday that we now call good. And what I'm telling you is Jesus predicted every bit of this. His betrayal, his, his arrest, his indictment, his conviction, his condemnation, his crucifixion, Jesus predicted All of this. And I'm just telling you, if somebody can predict with that level of accuracy, I'm going to follow him. But here's what's more beautiful to me. Jesus predicted this. This is so awesome. Because sometimes we read over the awesomeness of Jesus and we just keep moving right on. But Jesus predicted this. And notice, I didn't say Jesus guessed all of this. I said Jesus predicted all of this. Here's the thing. If Jesus predicted all of this, That must mean Jesus pre-planned all of this. If Jesus pre-planned all of this, that means nothing that happened. That first Easter weekend was an accident. It was part of a plan being carried out on purpose. Because he didn't guess it, he predicted it. Which means none of it was an incident. None of it was something out of his control. He was predicting that he would carry out the plan exactly as it was scripted. And that's exactly what he did that weekend. And in fact, as you start to read this story play out, oh man, just let yourself get giddy because it's giddy worthy. Because you get to chapter 26 and Jesus starts to drop hints and he starts to let us in on the fact that this was a master plan the whole time. That's how I was able to predict it. I love what he says. Matthew chapter 26, Jesus is flaunting a little bit now, verse 53, do you think, okay, because when this little mob comes to get Jesus, uh, one of Jesus' followers, Peter, gets upset and he grabs a sword and cuts off one of the ears of Caiaphas' you know, one of the chief priests' you know, underlings. And Jesus steps in and says, whoa, 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 whoa. And listen to what he says. Matthew 26, verse 53. I, I love this. I get giddy because um, it's, it's so awesome. He says, do you think that I cannot call on my father and he my father? will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. Verse 54. But how then would the plan, but how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? This wasn't an accident. This was a plan that Jesus was predicting. Verse 55. In that hour, Jesus said to the crowd, come on now. Am I leading a rebellion? I mean, I'm just a carpenter's son. I'm just a teacher. That you've come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Come on. Little overkill, wouldn't you say? Every day I sat in the temple and you guys saw me teaching and you didn't arrest me. Oh, now Jesus is bragging a little bit. See, because it wasn't time then. No, no, it wasn't time, but it's time now. And he says in verse 56, but this has all taken place. That the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. That the plan that we set in place might be fulfilled. This prediction was made in Matthew chapter 20, so that when we get to Matthew chapter 26, so that when we get to Good Friday, so when we get to Silent Saturday, we would be reminded, oh, this wasn't an accident. This was a plan that's being carried out very deliberately. By the way, let me just take a quick aside to say how much I love this. Um, Because I don't know about you. Um, Okay, maybe I do know a little bit about you. But for far too long, isn't it interesting that when we get to Good Friday... Um, we will black out our Facebook pages, you know, we'll put on like really somber music and we'll put on like really dark, gloomy outfits, you know, because after all, it's, it's Good Friday. I love reading verses like this because the reason I think sometimes the church does that is we get the whole thing twisted and we think that, oh, see, see, um, on, on, on Good Friday, Jesus was like, oh, poor Jim Caviezel. Look at him, struggling and suffering, and we legitimately believe that Jesus was a victim on Friday, and then he was a victor on Sunday, and Jesus says, do not get it twisted. I was as victorious on Friday as I was on Sunday. This wasn't an accident. This was a plan. Everybody's just playing into my plan, which I set up for my purposes. So I try, but I'm telling you church, I try on Good Friday to be like, oh Jesus is suffering, but I know too much. I know he's setting this whole thing up. I know this plan was on purpose. And I love that he even says later on, come on, child, no one takes my life. I know we are saying that I will be captured, but no one captures me. I turn myself in. No one kills me. I only die if I lay my life down. This was all part of a strategic plan. Don't cry for me, Argentina. I'm as victorious on Friday as I'll be on Sunday. This is a plan. Oh, what plan, Jesus? The best plan ever. The most incredible plan of all. It's the plan where Jesus would allow everything to happen to him that he never wanted to have to happen to us. That's the plan. That's an awesome plan. Okay, talk to us, Isaiah. Tell us more about this plan. Because Jesus says, I don't know this happens so that prophecy will be fulfilled, so that the plan would be fulfilled. And one of the prophecies Jesus is talking about is from a prophet named Isaiah. And listen to what Isaiah says about the events of Easter weekend. Isaiah 53 verse 3 says this, He, Jesus, was despised and rejected and even betrayed by mankind. A man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised and we held him in low esteem. You know, poor Jesus, oh man, look at him. Is he going to make it? I wonder. He's struggling so much. And we did, we patted him on the head. Held him in low esteem. Verse 4, surely... He took up our pain and he bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he, Jesus, this was the plan, would be pierced for our transgressions. He would be crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that would bring us peace was placed on him, and by his wounds, we are healed. That was the plan for all of these terrible things to happen to Jesus so that they would never have to happen to us. This was the plan, that I would be your substitute. This was the plan. That he's predicting on that day some things are going to happen to me and pay close attention to what I'm predicting is going to happen to me because whatever is going to happen to me is the thing I don't want to have to happen to you. So I'm taking your place and I'm going to do it on your behalf. Because here's the reality. If we're honest and we believe what the Bible says, we have all messed up. We have all betrayed God. We have all, every single one of us in this room have sold God, God out for a little bit of pleasure here and there. We have all broken the law of God and you know it I don't have to convince you of that if you've ever lied if you've ever stolen if you've ever had a lustful thought in your mind you know you've messed up and what the Bible says without making any apologies for it is that the consequence of breaking even one of God's laws is eternal judgment, is eternal death. It is being separated and suffering forever and ever and ever and ever. And the thing about the law of God is if you break it, the consequences have to be enforced. There is no scenario in which sin must not result in somebody experiencing death. It's the way... It works. We've all messed up, which means all of us are sitting under this eternal death sentence. And there is nothing we can do to reverse it. There is nothing we can do to fix it except that God had a plan. God put into place a plan, a plan for Jesus to take our place and have all that we deserved happen to him. I love the events of Easter weekend, and I love how Jesus predicts them ahead of time. Jesus predicts them just to let us in on the fact when you see this happen, it wasn't an accident. This was my plan from the beginning. This is why I came to this world, to carry out the plan so that everything that happened to me Would not have to happen to you. And Jesus says, I will be handed over. Why? Well, because if I'm not handed over, then you're going to be handed over to judgment. It's either me or it's you. So Jesus says, I am going to hand myself over. To being judged under the biblical law that you messed up. Even though I didn't break a single one of them. But for your sake, I'll be handed over. And the law will be held over my head. And I'm going to be condemned. Well, why, Jesus? Well, because you earned the death sentence. You earned the condemnation. And listen, if you are not, if, I, if you're not condemned, I'll be condemned. If I'm not condemned, you will be condemned. But somebody has to be condemned for breaking the law. And I'm telling you, I am going to go and I'm going to be condemned under the law. Why? So that it wouldn't have to happen to you. And I'm going to be crucified. Why Jesus? Why would you go through that experience on the cross? Because someone has to die for sin. And either you're going to pay the consequence of death. Or I'm going to pay the consequence of death on your behalf. And here's the plan. That I am voluntarily agreeing to step into these places. And experience this torture. So that it wouldn't have to happen to you. And so on that Friday. Jesus underscore, willingly died so that we wouldn't have to, so that the messed up people who deserved to die wouldn't have to. But then Jesus makes uh, the boldest and most daring of all of his predictions. See, because it's possible, I don't think it's possible, but I'm saying this to be nice, it's possible that you could get lucky On a few of these ones. But the boldest prediction Jesus makes, you can't get by luck. There are no statistics that allows anybody to ever be right about this. Verse 20, Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 20, verse 18 and 19. He says, we're going up to Jerusalem. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law so that the people who believe in him won't have to be handed over to the law. And and they will condemn him to death so that those who've messed up don't have to be condemned to death. And will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified so that those who deserve death don't have to experience the torture and the crucifixion that they deserve. And then he says, Jesus, how dare you? On the third day, he will be raised to life. He is risen. Yes, that was your cue. Some of you are not going to Hollywood uh, because you completely missed your cue on, on that. Jesus is risen indeed. You do not make a lucky prediction about then I'm going to rise from the dead. Come on, J.R. Smith. This is not like we may come back from one, three, down. He is saying, I am going to rise from the dead. This is what Resurrection Sunday is all about. I'm going to bust up out of that grave, break up with death, and come roaring to life, he says. See, because if Jesus stayed in the grave, we would never know Hey, that plan that you predicted, did it work out or did it not? We don't know. We haven't heard from you in a while. (laughs) So Jesus breaks up out of the grave, not because death was difficult to break up with, but because he wanted to make sure that the announcement was clear. Hey, mission accomplished. Now you never have to experience what I experienced on your behalf. Because he's alive. Uh, Matthew chapter um, 28, verse 5 and 6. Um, The angel said to the women, uh, do not be afraid, for I know that you're looking for Jesus who, underscore, was crucified. Verse 6, he's not here. He has risen just as he predicted he would. Come and see the place where he lay. Jesus was right, and his predictions are our hope, because everything he plans to accomplish on our behalf, the plan he and his father set into place to take our place, was completely accomplished. Whatever happened to him doesn't have to happen to us. That's why we love this weekend. That's why I'd encourage you to continue to read the Passion story because it is a reminder of the things that happened to Jesus that never have to happen to you. And you know, the craziest thing the craziest thing is that some of us sitting in this room are still choosing to carry what Jesus already did. We are still choosing to haul around our sin. We are still choosing to haul around our sentence. We are still choosing to haul around our shame. We are still choosing to nurse that separation with God that came as a result of the fact that we missed. And I'm here to tell you maybe for the very first time or maybe to remind you because you've heard it before. You don't need to carry your sin and your shame and your sentence around because Jesus carried it for you and he carried it so that what he carried you wouldn't ever have to. And for many of us, that's where we sit this morning. And I have a quick question for you. Do you have a better plan? I mean, take a second. Maybe you do. And again, I'm being nice because you really don't. <laughs> but do you, do you have a better plan? Some of us act like we have a better plan. I have a plan. Uh, my plan is a cleanup plan. And so you don't understand. I know I've messed up. I can't argue with that. I've seen the effects and the consequences in my world. I know I've messed up, but see, here's what I'm trying to do. I'm on an an operation to improve myself and to try and sin less and to mess up a little less than I did last year. And listen, that may be fine, but if every single sin I commit is a capital offense that deserves the eternal death sentence, what about the mistakes you already made before you went on the cleanup operation? Those still need to be dealt with and the reality is you're either going to deal with them or you can allow Jesus to experience them for you so that you wouldn't have to. Some of us are on the come to church plan, you know, like, all right, well, it's Easter and I'm trying to get to church more. And we'll say that sometimes, like I'm going to get to church more, you know, and trying to just take care of my act. And honestly, I think sometimes we believe that's a good plan. We believe that God, listen, I'm going to go and hide from your judgment in your church, if you don't mind. God's like, I can totally see you. That doesn't work. Church cannot mend your broken relationship with God. It never can. I'm so thankful you're here. We've been praying that you would come here, but please do not get it twisted. Being here cannot keep you from standing before God and facing judgment. And Jesus said, but listen, I did something about that. I took on your sentence and your condemnation so that you wouldn't have to. Your church can't do that for you. Only I can. Some of us are, you know, our plan is the denial plan. It's like, I don't think I've messed up. Well, what do you mean? Like, I, I'm fine. Like, you know, I mean, I'm not saying I'm perfect. Well, that's the problem. You have to be. Well, I mean, I don't know that I've really done anything wrong. Well, you just lied just now. So that in and of itself is a problem. But some of us, we really deny and we, we, we act like, no, we haven't done anything wrong. But denial is not going to work in the presence of God. But Jesus has a better plan in which he takes your mess and he takes your failure and he carries it on himself. And he accepts a conviction and a condemnation that he didn't deserve so that you wouldn't have to. Some of us just procrastinate. Like, you know, I meant good. This is good. This is good. I needed to hear this. I needed to hear this. I know, but you've been saying that for years. Well, but one day I'll deal with it. I mean, it's, it's, I really should think about this some more. And to me, that procrastination plan is a terrible plan because you, by his grace, you're here today, but you have no idea if you have the opportunity. To lean into his plan tomorrow. You don't know that. So to continue to walk out of here and act like, man, I'll figure it out sometime. There are too many people around here that I'm concerned what they would think. For some of us who are on the punishment plan, you know you've messed up. And so what you do is you just continue to lump punishment on yourself. I'm a terrible person. I'm the worst. I stink. If anyone asks you, you you're beating yourself up. And Jesus is here to say, I have a better plan. I was tortured and I was beaten up so that you wouldn't have to be beaten up. I love this prediction because it means whatever happened to Jesus doesn't have to happen to you, And it is the most glorious plan and it is the only plan in which there is hope for our eternity. He took care of it because we couldn't. And all we have to do is accept what he did. Isn't that the best news? Everything else I read is something that's asking me, well, if you do this and you do this and you work hard enough and you climb hard enough, and Jesus is saying, no, 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 you don't need to do anything except except what I've already done for you. That's all you have to do this morning. How great is Easter? Lord, if it's happened to you and it doesn't have to happen to me, I believe you and I accept that. I receive that from you. And that's it. Your eternity is forever. Altered forever change. Might today be the day when maybe for the first time you allow Jesus to carry forever your sin and your shame and your mess and your separation from God. But let me talk to some of you who've already I- accepted and you've already I- embraced what Jesus has done for you. Because some of us have accepted what Jesus has done Um, But then we know ourselves enough to know that we've continued to mess up and we've continued to struggle. And our mess and our struggle gets us to the place where, if we're honest, some of us are sitting in this room and we're wondering, was Jesus' plan enough, though? Was, Was his plan really enough? And we start to act like his plan failed. I'm still struggling with sin, and there is no way I can envision that Jesus took care of this as well. There's a limit. I know he might have taken care of some of the stuff I used to do and some of the stuff I did before, but not the stuff I continue to struggle with. I have a feeling because of the ways I continue to struggle and I continue to fail, God is mad at me, and I have news for you. If it happened to Jesus, it no longer applies to you. And on the cross, God took out all of his rage, all of his anger on Jesus because of your sin. Now, if he took out all of his rage, guess what that means? He ain't got nothing left for you. He's not mad at you. He can't be because Jesus experienced the wrath of God on your behalf. And for some of us believers, we need to come back to that place where we declare once again, he is risen and he came back to announce, I took care of all of your sin. There's more grace in my resurrection than there is sin in you. Stop standing at a distance. Now you're separating yourself from God because you feel shame and you feel guilt. No, 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 that happened to me. You're beating yourself up when Jesus was already beaten up on your behalf. And Jesus is saying, stop wasting my Easter weekend. I took care of all of that. Would you now celebrate in joy on a daily basis that Jesus, even though there's still signs of my sinfulness and even though there's still hints of my struggle, that I have trusted in you, which means you no longer hold this against me. God no longer stands at a distance. He's not frowning. He's smiling. And for some of you, that is a difficult thing for you to embrace. And I hope this Easter, something new rises in your heart. To embrace what Jesus has done on your behalf shame is a lie for some of us we are in places where we feel like man but I just don't feel like I can stop I don't feel like I can I can you know deal with this issue in my life well hey that's a lie too I love that Jesus predicted that he would be bound and he was And if Jesus was shackled, and if Jesus was bound, that's so that you don't have to be by that sin. You don't have to be by that struggle. The idea that you have to be bound by anything is a lie. When he came up out of the grave, it happened to him. It doesn't have to happen to you. So there's freedom in this space. Whether you've never believed in Jesus or whether you believed in Jesus before and you're just struggling to come back to that place, whatever happened to him, doesn't have to happen to you. He went through it so that we wouldn't have to. So I don't know who you are or what space you're in, but I know that Easter is good news. And the band's going to come back out, and they're going to lead us in a song, and I hope it's loud and you know and noisy as we make the declaration that Jesus is risen. Jesus is well, first of all, I hope the band does come back out. I mean that's the first thing. Um, are they behind me? Okay, good. It'd be super awkward if I had to do it, but um, man, we just want to declare the greatest day in history, and the greatest day in history is still real today. This could be the greatest day in your history if you're willing uh, to come to Jesus and just accept what he's done on your behalf or maybe reaccept what Jesus has already done for you that you have veered away from. And so maybe you're coming to Jesus for the first time or maybe you're coming back to Jesus because you've been standing at a distance on account of some of your own issues or your struggles or whatever else is going on. I would invite you to, to just make this a day of starting fresh with him. We're going to have the elders, if you're in the house, or small group leaders, come up front, and you're just going to have a supportive family of people willing to just pray with you and willing to agree with you and just willing to stand with you and say, man, Jesus has taken our place. And how amazing is that? So if you just want to pray with somebody because you're coming to Jesus or you're coming back to Jesus, there'll be folks... Um, up here. Maybe you've been struggling with something that you want prayer for. Please come up here. And let me just lift the lid. It is Resurrection Sunday. Jesus is up out of the grave. So whatever it is that's holding you down, I'd encourage you to come and have somebody pray with you about that. Whether it's a sickness, whether it's an addiction, uh, whether it's a family situation, whether it's a broken relationship, we want to trust his power in conquering the grave. It's still alive and it's still real for us. And so I'd invite you, even as the team is up here, come and have somebody pray with you and walk out of here in the victory of his resurrection. Amen.